2020 has been a tough year, and many people have been cooped up inside for a long time. That's right. Well, fortunately, in our show today, we are going to bring you out of the studio to two fun places. That's right. One of them is the Penghu Islands, where you're going to learn about a cactus-flavored drink, and the other is the Taipei Brewery, where they are making a beer out of a hundred-year-old yeast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Natalie So, and I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out the stories on our radar. Oil from Africa? In Taiwan? That's right. Taiwan's state-run oil company, CPC Taiwan, has brought in 95,000 barrels of crude oil from a field it developed in the North African nation of Chad. This is the first such endeavor for the company since it began searching for oil abroad around four decades ago. CPC is calling it the first step towards securing Taiwan's energy independence. Protests against a plan to ease import restrictions on U.S. pork took a turn for the disgusting last Friday. In January, Taiwan will allow imports of pork from the U.S. treated with the additive ractopamine, which many in Taiwan worry is unsafe for human consumption. When Premier Su Zhengchang attempted to address the legislature about the pork issue last Friday, KMT lawmakers began hurling pig innards at him. Talk about an awful day. Want to get the executive treatment on the cheap? Head over to Taipei 101. The landmark Taipei skyscraper is opening its exclusive top floor to the public. Once only open to heads of state and a wealthy few others, the top floor will now play host to ordinary plebs like us. If you want to feel what it's like to have your head in the clouds, you can pay extra to step out onto the top floor's dizzying outdoor observation deck. In Taiwan, the cooler winter months are strawberry season. This year, the famous strawberries of Dahu Township in Miaoli County have ripened early. Farmers say they're smaller than usual because hot weather has shortened this year's growing season. But a lack of rain and a sizable gap between daytime and nighttime temperatures means that they are as sweet as ever. Now, we've been very fortunate here in Taiwan. There have been no new domestic transmissions of COVID-19 since April 12th. That's right. And that means that we've been able to go to bars and restaurants. That's right. But just on December 1st, some new rules about masks have come into place. Let's take a look. If you're flying to Taiwan anytime after December 1st, there's some new rules you'll need to know. They're part of the fall-winter COVID-19 prevention program. Travelers need to present a negative COVID-19 test taken within three days of departure. Face masks are required in eight public places, everywhere from hospitals and clinics to public transportation. Those that don't comply will face a fine of up to 15,000 Taiwan dollars. That's more than 500 U.S. dollars. And finally, they're boosting case reporting and specimen collection at hospitals and clinics. It's been more than 200 days since Taiwan last recorded a domestic transmission of COVID-19, and the authorities and people of Taiwan are hoping to keep it that way. So you actually have to wear a mask now in eight types of public places. Let's take a look again. Isn't he cute? I love the little dog that they (laughs) use. He's very cute. And as you can see, there are eight different types of places where you do have to wear face masks. It's almost everywhere that's indoors, right? A lot of places, like 80-90%. So the question is, do you have to wear a face mask in a bar or a restaurant? Now, if it is a bar, the answer is yes. Uh, However, if you have social distance with the people around you, or if the person next to you is wearing a mask, then you can take yours off, drink something, eat something. 
Yeah. All right, and restaurants actually aren't on the list, but if you're at a buffet, you need to wear it when you're taking food, mm. or if you go into a restaurant, they prefer that you wear it. So we'll have the details um, in the show notes below. In the studio now, we have Leslie Liao, and he and Andrew Ryan went somewhere special, the Taipei Brewery. That's right. Now, Andrew is one of the few people in the world that could say, hey, follow me down this dark hallway, and I'll comply. <laughs> unconditionally. <laughs> Not only that, but I'll expect something really good at the end of it. This time, it was beer brewed from 100-year-old yeast. I documented the whole process. Now let's have a look. One day, Andrew Ryan asked me if I like beer. Being your run-of-the-mill beer-loving guy, I told him, of course. Then follow me down this dark corridor, he said. Check this out. If you don't work here, you're not supposed to go in, but we're going in. Come on. We're at the Taipei Jianguo Brewery, Taiwan's oldest brewery, which still functions today. See that building down there? Yeah. The red bricks? Yeah. That's like original, original. And see all these pipes up here? Is this all Japanese era? Uh, the red brick building is. And then the pipes? This is... You wouldn't know it, but hidden inside of this historical brewery is a trendy beer room. This is what I look like most Saturday nights at around 11 p.m. Oh no. This is pretty much what I look like. I'm pretty sure they took this from my likeness. <laughs> we get a peek at some of the exclusive craft beers that the folks here at the brewery are working on. But head brewer master Wu, who has been here for 40 years, has something even better in store for us. Beer brewed from 100-year-old yeast. There are a total of five of them, each one with its own distinct flavor. Master Wu tells us that these yeasts were left over from Taiwan's Japanese colonial era. The yeasts come from Europe, likely Germany, but Master Wu can't say for sure. How do the five beers taste? Well, let me tell you, I am in Smooth City. Andrew asks me which one of the five is my favorite, and this is what I have to say to him. They're all like really good to me. Like at this point, it's just like, um, like what you're asking me is just like, do you like the Olympic gold medalist in swimming or do you like the Olympic gold medalist in running? Like these are all excellent beers. But however much I drink, the fascination of what I'm experiencing keeps me sober. This is like drinking the ancestors, right? This is what the ancestors drink. The fruit of their labor. This is, I am traveling in time via libation. That's basically what's happening. 100 year old yeast, man. I never thought, what was the last time you touched anything that was that old? That wasn't a building or something like that. I mean, something food related? This is gotta be the first time. I think so, right? My goodness. This is like, I feel like I'm drinking history right now. This is, this is absolutely astounding. Like, it's I, incredible. It's, it's almost like a transcendent experience. It's not even about drinking a good beer anymore. It's about, this is from leftover from like last time when this thing came into existence, the Japanese were running this country. Yes, that's right. So that would have been, 1919, right? So how did you guys like the beer? I, I, I thought it was really fresh. Like, I was really surprised. You didn't think it was old. I did, didn't <laughs> taste old at all because the beer was freshly brewed, even though the yeast was pretty old. It was really refreshing, and I think you can see it on my face in the video. I was just fascinated by the whole experience. It was tasting history, tasting legacy, and that was what it was about for me. Yeah, so. I think the, the special part was definitely Mr. Wu, who, you know, Master Wu, who's yeah. been doing this for 40 years, you know, to have this, 
you know, heritage passed along from him. It's just amazing. Super hospitable guy, too. Just yeah. lots of fun, all laughs, jokes left and right. You would th think a man with that much discipline in him, he would be a little more, you know, Serious? uptight about what he does. Yeah. But no. But he loves his job. Absolutely. It's really cool. Sure. Yeah. What a craft. So, also, I heard you went to Penghu and got a special drink over there. That's right. So, I went to the islands of Penghu, which are located off the west coast of Taiwan. It's about a 45-minute plane ride. And, you know, we're so lucky to be able to go in a plane That's true. safely. And travel. Mask. Yeah. Uh, so, when I was there, uh, I had a, a fun vacation, and I also met a woman who makes some amazing drinks out of cactus juice. Have a look. This is the tiny village of Erkan, situated in a remote part of Taiwan's Penghu Islands. The village is surrounded by coral walls, which provide shelter from the elements. The same elements that are perfect for growing prickly pears, a juicy red cactus fruit. That cocktail looks really refreshing. It was. It has all the notes. It has uh, sweet, it has sour. You know, and if, if you want to try it, uh, you can get some cactus juice concentrate and try it at home. And it doesn't have to be alcoholic either. No, you can add juice to it, you make a smoothie juice. or whatever. The possibilities are endless. Great, refreshing summer drink, but also very festive for Christmas. So uh, up next, we're going to go straight into Hashtag Taiwan. Have you ever ordered a drink at a coffee shop only to realize that the cashier got your name completely wrong? Take that interaction, put it on the internet, and then you have the topic of this week's Hashtag Taiwan. The Hashtag challenge has been trending on Taiwan's social media. It translates into the Hashtag Misspell My Name Challenge. People are sharing the ways others have botched their names. For example, people I have met over the phone have been known to spell my name L-E-S-L-E-Y instead of L-E-S-L-I-E. -E. Common mistake. Chinese names are a lot easier to botch. We don't have an alphabet, and on top of that, we have a lot of characters that sound the same. So whenever I have to leave my name for a restaurant reservation in Taiwan, I can't just tell them my Chinese name, Liao Changlei. Liao is a relatively common family name in Chinese, so they usually get that right, but they need to ask me which Chang and which Lei. A common mistake is that people use this character for Lei, which means thunder. I mean, I do have a voice that go boom. Thank God my parents didn't choose this Lei, because this monstrosity is 160 strokes. Dude! I'd be the captain of the Carpal Tunnel Express, but I digress. Back to the challenge. People have been sharing the ways their names have been misspelled. Let me give you an example. Andrew Ryan, yes, our Andrew Ryan's Chinese name is Ran Anzu. On Facebook, he said that people have called him Yuan Anzu. See how Ran and Yuan look similar? He said that people have also spelled his name Ran Anzu, which phonetically there is barely any difference, but it's the wrong character. That character means God or Master. LOL. If you sit near Andrew at the office like I do, then you're familiar with how he describes his Chinese name. He'll say, my name is Ran Anzu. Ran, as in Ethan Ran, the popular Taiwanese actor, An, as in safe, and Zu, as in ancestor. I have a special way for explaining my name too, but we'll come back to that a little later. I saves the best for last. The margin for error in writing Chinese names is immense, and that's why I think this challenge resonates with a lot of people in Taiwan. However, errors don't just stem from characters with similar composition and pronunciation. Sometimes it's another problem altogether. 
Taipei Zoo is situated in the district of Muza, so people will often call it the Muza Zoo or the Taipei Muza Zoo. However, the zoo's Facebook page would like to remind people that there is no Muza in its name. It's just the Taipei Zoo. Another mix-up people might have with Chinese names comes from the fact that some Chinese characters have multiple pronunciations. Is your head spinning yet? The worldwide bubble tea chain Coco's Chinese name is Duke. However, in its own entry into the challenge, it acknowledged that Duke can also be pronounced Douke. This part's gonna get a little bit complicated, but there's a big payoff, I promise. Douke can mean it's all good in Chinese. So in its post, Coco says, whether you pronounce our name Duke or Douke, However, our name is pronounced and they put the same two characters there, leaving it up for you to decide. Those clever plunks. I've gotten pretty good at explaining my own Chinese name, Liao Changlei. How do I tell people how to write my name? The Chang is two characters for day put together and Lei is written by putting three characters for rock together. So my name is as easy as one, two, three. One Liao, two days, three rocks, which coincidentally describes my ideal day. Today's brain game is called Taiwan Trivia. And mm. Leslie and Andrew, you guys are going to compete to see how many trivia questions about beer, Taiwan beer, <laughs> oh, that no. you can answer. Okay, we have seven questions and let's see who gets the most. Okay, okay. You guys compete like whoever does the buzzer first gets the answer. All right, guys. Can I answer first? Ready? <laughs> <laughs> All right. In the 60s, what was added to the recipe for Taiwan beer that gives us its distinct flavor? Yes. Uh, is it rice? That's right. Isn't that cool? What Never brand of Taiwanese beer was the only Taiwanese beer to win at the World Beer Awards? Buckskin beer. That's right. Wow. And how many awards did it win? I'm going to say two. Very good. <laughs> that was a total guess. <laughs> it was world's best dark alt beer for the second year in a row and also world's best lager dutmunder. Wow. So what brand of beer is only sold on the island of Xiaoliuqiu? Uh, it is called uh, Captain Beer. That's right. Yes, I've had wow, it. Wow, you've had it before, yeah, yeah. really? <laughs> is it Tony's brand? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's wow. only sold on that island. <laughs> wow. Yeah. When did craft brewers start to spring up in Taiwan? I'll say 2002. That's right. Wait, what? How did you know that? I just, I. I think I shouldn't I think answer you, that because I was underage at the time. <laughs> but that was also kind of a guess. It oh, was I must when have been you guessed, too, you right? guessed two awards <laughs> and I guessed 2002. That's just how it it's goes. It's fair, yeah. It was when um, Taiwan joined the WTO. Oh. So free trade became law. Okay. Okay, so how many percent of beer consumed in Taiwan is local beer? Oh. Roughly. Ooh. I want to say 30%. No. I'm going to say more than that. I'm going to say 50%. Over 70%. Oh, wow. Whoa. We love our local beers, Me man. Too. Right. That's beers. amazing. Okay, so the last question. Name a fruit that Taiwan beer makes beer with. Pineapple. That's right. Grape. That's right. <laughs> Mango. That's right. Uh, lychee. There's one more. Lychee. No. I'm not sure if they do that. Guava? But there's another Guava. one. Guava. That's a good guess. There's um, another one. 
Uh, there's another one. Uh, mango, mango, oh, pineapple. Oh, pineapple, banana? you didn't say pineapple. It's pineapple. pineapple. Honey. He said it's pineapple, pineapple, right? Oh, I did say pineapple. He said you pineapple. did say pineapple. <laughs> honey, does honey count? Honey Honey's not count. a fruit. You guys, I think I lost count. I think you won. Oh. <laughs> I definitely got like three, well, you maybe got or two, four. Two of the color, uh, yeah. flavors. I got two yeah. of the flavors. Oh, okay, it's a tie. <laughs> I'm All happy. Right, you so know they what? Both won. Shot in the dark, two thousand two, and I won it. I'm gonna buy a lottery a ticket job. when I go home today. <laughs> so that is all about Taiwan beer. Hope you enjoyed our Taiwan trivia. And finally today, we have been talking a fair bit about alcohol in our show. So we're gonna switch to a healthier lifestyle and ask you, what are your favorite non-alcoholic drinks? Uh, Natalie, why don't we start with you? Okay, I do this every day. Latte! Latte. <laughs> and I think Taiwan actually has fantastic coffee culture. So I think we should maybe do a show on that sometime. I like it. Uh, Leslie. In the same vein. <laughs> oh, coffee. Coffee. Uh, I don't know how much healthier this is for me, but I do drink it indiscriminately, so. Wow, wow. Great coffee here in Taiwan, really. I have a feeling you know what I'm going to say, too? I have too. a feeling. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I like my iced coffee uh, nice and cold and bitter, just like my heart <laughs> during pre-production for Taiwan Insider. Taiwan Insider, so. fueled by coffee. <laughs> yeah. Well, really thank you so much for uh, joining us for today's edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, if you like our program, subscribe and leave a comment below. We'd love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one, what platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two, which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three, out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four, what are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. The Sound of the Puyuma Tribe on Radio Taiwan International. All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. 
Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I am Natalie So. U.S.-Taiwan ties have made tremendous strides in the Donald Trump administration. There have been 10 proposed arms packages. There have been many acts supporting Taiwan passed by the U.S. Congress. And there have been visits by top U.S. officials. So are things going to change when Joe Biden comes to office? Will the Democrats have a different approach towards Taiwan? Well, those are the questions on the minds of many people in Taiwan. And today, I talk with American Studies professor at Danjiang University, Alexander Huang, about these questions. I asked him first about a cancellation of the visit of the head of the Environmental Protection Agency in the U.S. He was scheduled to visit Taiwan this month, but that trip got canceled. Professor Huang tells me why. I think uh, when Taipei and Washington were planning for that visit, uh, it was before the U.S. presidential election. And uh, when it was announced, it was during the time uh, when President Trump did not concede to the uh, election result. The cancellation of the visit uh, took place after uh, the General Service Administration signed off a letter and started the transition period and uh, made the uh, process formally in place. And that uh, made foreign trip uh, inappropriate during the tr transition period. I think that's the main reason that the visit was called off. I see. So... We all know that Trump has strengthened U.S.-Taiwan ties in many ways. Can you tell me why you think he did that? You know, uh, the I military think, sales and, and the visits and everything. Uh, it, it was a mixture of many. Uh, first of all, it's because of the uh, U.S.-China strategic competition. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, under that huge structure... Washington uh, has seen Taiwan as a useful uh, location and also a partner to advance the United States' interests, especially uh, strategic and security interests in the Western Pacific. So um, it is actually natural for the United States to uh, advance U.S.-Taiwan relationship for their own interests. And secondly, because of the uh, growing uh, imbalance uh, of military capability across the Taiwan Strait, uh, and the United States see that uh, maintaining a peace and stability in the Taiwan area and also keep the balance across the Taiwan Strait is also in the interest of the United States and its allies in Asia-Pacific region. So to provide Taiwan with a more swift and uh, necessary defense services and articles uh, becomes more urgent than before. That's why I think the uh, U.S.-Taiwan relations has 
benefited from uh, that huge structure. And uh, given the bilateral relationship, a very unique period of time uh, in the um, past 41 years without a diplomatic recognition. Do you think there's a big difference between the way Republicans and Democrats deal with Taiwan? People are nervous about Joe Biden because he's from a different party. Well, yeah, you know, the, the, the short answer is uh, I, I don't see a particular difference between the Republican and Democrats. Uh, in terms of uh, the bilateral relations between Taipei and Washington, as I said, that the strategic posture has already defined a closer uh, Washington-Taipei relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this relationship will go along for quite some time. Now, as long as the uh, competition between the United States and China continues, uh, the United States will continue to see Taiwan as a valuable partner uh, in many ways. Uh, of course, there could be uh, a difference uh, in terms of practice. For for example, if the United States wanted to uh, resume, you know, dialogue and uh, normal uh, business between China and the United States, then they will. Uh, the incoming administration would probably less likely to push the advancement of U.S.-Taiwan relationship while they are looking for ways to at least, you know, improve uh, the, the relationship or re-engage, you know, dialogue with China. So, so I believe that the um, Democrats, uh, the Joe Biden administration would be more prudent, uh, more realistic, in terms of balancing uh, its relationship between Beijing and Taipei. So do you think that Taiwan and the U.S. will sign a bilateral trade agreement? I mean, they're starting economic talks. How possible do you think that is? Well, that's another issue. Uh, I I think uh, both sides see the benefits of a bilateral uh, trade agreement. Um, but as we know, that business is business. Um, there are, uh, you know, uh, uh, legitimate uh, hurdles, you know, on the road toward a bilateral trade agreement. Um, there are many details. There are many legal issues. There are uh, some deregulation uh, uh, area that both sides needs to sit down and talk. And I expect that will be a long shot from today when we see uh, a uh, agreement is signed. I, I would consider that a, a long process. But, but the good part is that uh, at least we started economic dialogue after Taiwan unilaterally agreed upon the importation of rectopamine mm-hmm. uh, meat products from the United States. I'm speaking with American Studies Professor Alexander Huang of Danjiang University about U.S.-Taiwan ties and what we can expect from the Democrats and the Joe Biden administration. More about if he expects military sales to continue next. (laughs) 
The sound of the Puyuma tribe on Radio Taiwan International. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one. What platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two. Which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three. Out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four. What are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. I'm speaking with Danjiang University American Studies Professor Alexander Huang about what we can expect from the Joe Biden administration and its relations with Taiwan. Now, Trump has proposed an unprecedented 10 arms packages for Taiwan during his term. And I asked Professor Huang if he thinks arms sales will continue to Taiwan from the U.S. in the Biden administration. Yes, you know, the arms sales to Taiwan uh, has been a continued policy for eight administrations since the derecognition between the United States and Taiwan. The, the real challenge for the continued arms sales are two. Number one is whether, uh, you know, the United States will see a major item arms sales would compromise their efforts to re-engage China uh, on one hand. And on the other hand, whether Taiwan's financial burden can bear a more, uh, you know, major arms sales down the road. It's a result of two realities. One is the healthiness of U.S.-China engagement. The second is the healthiness of Taiwan's financial capacity. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, both sides would have to sit down and uh, do some measurements into the next four years. So it seems like you're saying that uh, you think Joe Biden would try to re-engage China and it might cool off. Um, with its uh, ties with Taiwan a little bit. Is that what you're foreseeing? Yeah, because, you know, you know, it's all because of Beijing. Because Beijing, when, when Washington wanted to grab Beijing and talk about the uh, pandemic management, 
uh, to talk about climate change, to talk about other regional and uh, global issues. They would have to consider whether sending a cabinet-level official to Taipei or announce a major arms sales items would uh, compromise uh, their efforts. So I think there will be a kind of, um, I would say, more prudent and balanced approach uh, toward the future U.S.-Taiwan relationship. Mm. Do you think Taiwan should worry that the U.S. will stand closer to China and uh, help Taiwan defend itself? Absolutely not, because okay. um, we had many previous occasions can be used as reference. Uh, it was uh, a Democratic President Bill Clinton who sent two aircraft carrier battle groups uh, to the waters near Taiwan uh, when China lost missiles uh, to the uh, you know over Taiwan uh, in the mid 1990s. Right. Um, yeah, and so I do not see a clear-cut difference between the Republican administration and the Democratic ones. Okay, well, thank you so much, Professor, for your time. Thank you. Well, thank you. That is American Studies Professor Alexander Huang from Danjiang University. He gave us his views on how Joe Biden and his administration will deal with Taiwan. Thanks for tuning in to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. is a place full of voices, viewpoints, and stories. Hear them all here on Radio Taiwan International. Taiwan, straight from the source. Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is... John Van Trieste. And the destination... Inga... Mention the town of Inga to anyone from Taiwan, and you may soon find yourself in a discussion about pottery and ceramics. There are towns across Taiwan famous for all sorts of local products, but in Inga, a short way outside of Taipei, it is pottery and ceramics that have made the local reputation. Today, the suburban area is home to a range of studios, producing wares for everyone from the local day-tripper looking for a souvenir to the serious collector with serious cash to spare. 
the town's ceramic shops and professional studios are largely concentrated around one street, with Taiwan's only ceramics museum not far away. In historical terms, Inga's ceramics boom is quite recent, but there's a story here to be told. And here this week to help me tell it is Chen Baozhen, deputy director of the new Taipei City Inga Ceramics Museum. During our discussion today, Ms. Chen will explain how Inga came to be so closely linked with ceramics, while also walking us through the ceramics museum and reminding us that ceramics belong as much to the future as to the past. Inga's ceramics are the result of particularly good local clay. The area's suitability for making pottery and ceramics was appreciated as early as the 19th century. Wu An, a Chinese potter who'd settled in Taiwan in 1804, came to Inga and became one of the first to appreciate this clay. Over time, other people discovered the clay's usefulness as well, and like the potter Wu An, they set up shop in Inga too. But the local clay is just one part of the story of early local ceramics. Inga is also close to some of Taiwan's good coal deposits, and so as a result, the area had plenty of coal to fire kilns, as well as early access to rail transport. In the early 20th century, under Japanese colonial rule, both Taiwan's coal industry and its rail network expanded. But there was one piece of the puzzle that had yet to arrive, one that would delay Inga's ceramics boom until the end of World War II and Japanese rule. Under the new post-war Republic of China government, Japanese ceramic makers in Taiwan left the island, while imports of ceramics from Japan came to be heavily taxed. This effectively cut off two big sources of ceramics. Meanwhile, with the communist takeover in mainland China a few years after the war, cross-strait imports were soon out of the question too. This left a big local demand that only local supply could meet, and Inga's entrepreneurs rushed to fill the gap. The number of local kilns and studios exploded. In 1951 alone, the number of local kilns doubled, from 20-some to 40-some. By the peak of the ceramics boom, there were several hundred makers of ceramics. Though bowls, plates, dishes, and other utensils made up the bulk of Inga's original production, Inga's kilns came to make a little bit of everything. There were tiles of all kinds, toilets and other bathroom fixtures, vases, teapots, children's toys, and ceramics for industrial uses. Inga's train station would soon become Taiwan's second biggest station for freight, with shipments to other points around the island. Meanwhile, amid a need for foreign currency, Taiwan would also push Inga's ceramics beyond the island and into the world. Inga Ceramics made their international debut at a Seattle World's Fair in 1962. Quality clay, quality craftsmanship, low prices, and access to transit did the trick. Thanks to Inga Ceramics, Taiwan became a net ceramic exporter in 1965, and Inga Ceramics came to be exported in large quantities for the first time in 1967. 
实莺歌的陶瓷呢，呃，一般呃，就是做陶瓷的地方，它可能只钻进一种陶瓷。Ms. Chen says that the versatility of Inga ceramics was unusual at this stage. Ceramics are typically divided into five categories, she says: daily items, building materials, bathroom fixtures, art pieces, and industrial ceramics. Inga made all five at once. However, the town's place on top of the ceramics world was precarious, and a quickly changing world demanded that Inga's factories change quickly too. 转型的原因当然就是你看，像呃现在这个贸易这么发达哦，大概就是大概从呃七八。From the 1970s and 80s, changes in global trade made ceramics from Inga less competitive. It didn't help that a ban on local clay extraction eventually meant that clay had to be imported. A shift in focus was needed to keep the factories open, and the solution was for serious artists with serious studios to take over. Today, it is these artists who dominate Inga Ceramic Street, with classical forms and fantastical modern creations everywhere you look. 政府的一些辅助计划，比如说他们自己就开始朝向这些。Ms. Chen says government help was involved here, but this help didn't stop with local artists. In 2000, after years of discussion, what's now Inga's Ceramics Museum opened with government assistance. This institution aims to collect, research, and preserve Taiwanese ceramics to educate the public and to display fine ceramic artwork. 在到我们二楼的常设展呢，第一间呢会是介绍就是整个台湾陶。The museum's permanent exhibits include a gallery showing traditional pottery techniques. There is also an exhibit called Grandma's Kitchen, a reconstructed kitchen from decades past. It features ceramic utensils that people of older generations remember well, and that young visitors have a chance to learn about. Of course, Miss Chen says there's also an overview of Inga's ceramic history, brought to life through features including part of a freight train placed indoors and loaded with Inga's old wares. There are examples of ceramic objects made right in town, tiles, toilets, and all. Many of them once shipped from here around the world. Of course, as Ms. Chen has said, the Inga Ceramics Museum is for all of Taiwan, and so the exhibits also move beyond local traditions. 在接下来呢，我们会看到原住民陶艺的部分呢。There's a look far back into Taiwan's past. Long, long before Inga ceramics were even conceived of, this section looks at the pottery of Taiwan's indigenous peoples, showcasing examples of traditions that stretch far back into Taiwan's prehistory. The museum also looks forward as well as into the past. Ceramics as a whole is an industry of the future. Amid sci-fi surroundings, one final section called Future Prediction: Industrial and Fine Ceramics. Examines the way ceramics are used in technology and electronics. Apparently, they show up in many places visitors might not expect. Places like computers and phones. What does the future hold for Inga's own ceramics industry? The town may now be mainly focused on artwork, but Ms. Chen says its place as a global ceramic center is assured. The quality of its artists is appreciated in international circles. And the work of the ceramics museum itself has won international recognition. 明年呢，也取得了这个国际陶艺协会啊，他们的一个会员大会的一个主办权。
the museum has partnership agreements with museums, institutions, and associations in countries like the U.S., Germany, and Spain. There have been exchanges and international exhibits of ceramic art at the museum. And it is for good reason that the museum has been chosen to host the 2018 Congress and General Assembly of the International Academy of Ceramics. Global exchanges, conferences like this one, and an unbroken tradition of quality work ensure that Inga will continue to be linked with ceramics into our own 21st century. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. studio now we have Leslie Liao and he and Andrew Ryan went somewhere special the Taipei Brewery. That's right. Now Andrew is one of the few people in the world that could say hey follow me down this dark hallway and I'll comply <laughs> unconditionally. <laughs> Not only that but I'll expect something really good at the end of it. This time it was beer brewed from 100 year old yeast. I documented the whole process. Now let's have a look. One day, Andrew Ryan asked me if I like beer. Being your run-of-the-mill beer-loving guy, I told him, of course. Then follow me down this dark corridor, he said. Check this out. If you don't work here, you're not supposed to go in, but we're going in. Come on. We're at the Taipei Jianguo Brewery, Taiwan's oldest brewery, which still functions today. See that building down there? Yeah. The red bricks? Yeah. That's like... Original, original. And see all these pipes up here? Is this all Japanese era? Uh, the red brick building is. And then the pipes. This is. You wouldn't know it, but hidden inside of this historical brewery is a trendy beer room. This is what I look like most Saturday nights at around 11 p.m. Oh no. This is pretty much what I look like. I'm pretty sure they took this from my likeness. <laughs> we get a peek at some of the exclusive craft beers that the folks here at the brewery are working on. But head brewer master Wu, who has been here for 40 years, has something even better in store for us. Beer brewed from 100-year-old yeast. There are a total of five of them, each one with its own distinct flavor. Master Wu tells us that these yeasts were left over from Taiwan's Japanese colonial era. The yeasts come from Europe, likely Germany, but Master Wu can't say for sure. How do the five beers taste? Well, let me tell you, I am in Smooth City. Andrew asks me which one of the five is my favorite, and this is what I have to say to him. I, they're all like really good to me. Like at this point, it's just like, um, like what, what you're asking me is just like, do you like the Olympic gold medalist in swimming or do you like the <laughs> Olympic gold medalist in running? Like these are all excellent beers. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw. Our 60-minute English program can be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In Southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6185 kHz. In South Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199 Taipei, Taiwan. You can also email us at rti at rti.org.tw.